Or society. Yeah. Society. Society. Yeah. yeah. So it was the song that played it. And I was like, oh, who is that? Like, I like this song. And I was like, oh, Billie Eilish. Like, download her. Yeah. And then suddenly everybody was talking about Billie Eilish. And I'm like, oh. And I thought this was just deal. mine. You, oh. God damn it. You're like, this is my Billie. Hey, guys. Now I have to sh- share her with. Now I have to shave her as well. <laughs> Don't shave Billie <laughs> Eilish. Please, Eilish. Fuck. I won't. Please don't shave You're her. You're safe. Billy, um, who absolutely does not listen to us. She has a similar birthday to mine, December 18th or something. Oh, okay. Or 17th. And mine's December 20th. And they're talking about on the radio at my work. And by the way, hi, listeners, again, just to <laughs> confirm that we are here and paying attention to you, but also Billy. And um, <laughs> yeah, no. And they're like, she turns 18 in three days and yeah. I was like whoa what I saw she's something. that young holy fuck oh I knew she was that young I I didn't think she was when I first found her and then I like started looking at more stuff and I'm like wait she's 17 she looks older than that like she looks like tw- like 20 or something like that right yeah and I guess most pop stars do because they wear the hair and the makeup right and mm-hmm. so they don't look like random kids but she like tweeted something or some <clears throat> or somewhere she wrote she's like Oh, are you upset because I turned 18 and didn't take my clothes off? Boo-hoo. But that's because people were saying They're, stuff. Like, because she wears uh, a lot of, like, baggy clothing, right? That's her yeah. style. Well, that's And normal. people must have been saying, like, I didn't, I haven't read anything because I am I live in a Because you hole. don't read. Because she doesn't know how to read is why. I just, yeah, I don't. Um, but somebody <laughs> read this to me. So that's how I found out. And, <laughs> yeah, you. like, they must have just been saying stuff like, oh, oh yeah. Billie Eilish, where's the hot, I don't know. Who knows what the hell they were saying. Ooh, you're just illegal Just making shit now. up now. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. When I heard she was turning 18 on the radio, I was even thinking to myself, like, I bet there are a bunch of creepy old ass dudes we're going to be like, ooh, she's legal now. Yeah. That's so gross, Because man. she's relatively – She's attractive. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's what people, people have grown gross. to expect from pop stars yeah. that are women. Yeah, like a lot of – that is true. A lot of people expect that, and it's like she's still a kid, honestly. I know. Plus, like, even if she was turning, like, 39, you don't – your expectation shouldn't be, well, now that you're an adult, let me see your titties. Like, yeah, no, I'm, plus, ew. but 18 is like, for most of these, it's that's just disgusting. Yeah, you guys, still. Unless you're again. 21, it's gross. Stop it. Yeah, it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's pushing it. Yeah, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, if you're over the age of like, I mean, even 25 and 18 would be pushing it. Like, I, You know what it is, is like the ages themselves aren't bad, the age difference in that case, except that yeah. during their 20s, people are changing from the time they're like 20 till 30. It's yeah. like a huge growth period. And someone who is 25 is not in the same place as someone who is 18 and hasn't even begun that journey. Yeah. Like I'm like mid-late 20s right now and I'm just like I can't picture wanting to date an 18-year-old because of that. Mm -hmm. Because their development is so different different from mine now. It's so different. Yeah, like, year to year, I've been, like, growing a lot, and I'm just, like, 18, like, I know it's legal and whatever, I'm not judging anyone in those relationships, but it's just kind of, like, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. honestly, and, like, they just look, like, young to me, and that's not and an I attractive trait. I absolutely wouldn't, because No, because you're in your 30s. Very nearly half of my age. Yeah, Andrea's, like, 30s. It's a bit over half of my age, but it's still yeah. not, ew. Ew, yeah. it would be, like, da- it would be, like, dating... Some of them are still in high school when they're 18. Well, for you, I can't date too. a high schooler. No, I'm in exactly. my 30s. 
Well, plus, ah. like, oh, there's another thing, too. Like, um, yeah, you're in your 30s, and your son is, like, He's two 16. years away from that. So he'd be closer yeah. in age to your date than yeah. you are. That'd be gross. Not good. I would hate that. Not good, people. Ew. Don't yeah. stop doing that. Stop it. I know. I don't want to hear any of that shit. A lot of guys are just like, well, she's on a public platform with, like, Billie Eilish. What a lot of people are on public platforms. They still don't The Olsen twins when they were babies were on public platforms, but nobody... Oh, you're about to say nobody... Oh, I bet you they did when they were that young. I bet you they they got creepy letters that had to be like... Yeah. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I bet. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I know, but but I don't want anybody to DM me and tell me. Yeah, okay, yeah, no one... (laughs) I don't want to know, but I assume that, like, any, like, female star, no matter if she's a baby, to, like, age 35... That's the creepy part is that 35 seems to be the cutoff for these guys who are like 50 and into like female stars. That's revolting. I I'm know. almost aged out. Uh-oh. I know. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, honestly, youth is not sexy unless you're another youth. It's not. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, like as I yeah. grew, you know, it, it was funny because like when I was like 13. Yeah. I found other 13-year-old boys hot, right? Well, yeah, obviously. You and were I was 13. like, how would I ever find a guy who's 25 hot? Like, am I just going to be You can't conceive of it. You're you're like, when I'm 25, am I still going to find 13-year-old guys hot? Like I just can't imagine finding another 25-year-old hot. And then yeah. And your then when you get there, grow. you're like, <laughs> your yeah, tastes your tastes grow. change massively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I'll see even, like, 18-year-olds now or whatever, and I'll be like, they look young to me right now, even though I'm in my 20s, and I'm just kind of like, that's not an attractive trait. I actually don't want to be dating someone who looks, like, really young. No, me either. I it's don't find that sexy. My th- thing no it's a funny thing uh, when you were saying that about like 25 though I, like when i was like 13 i was into like house <laughs> md oh yeah i was like, into i was too, into though. old guys though like i, I was, was into like too, my teachers but i was into both but the thing is is there is different i guess yeah it didn't you know occur to me that they're old too so maybe maybe just because i mostly liked other 13 year old boys because i yeah, really loved jim carrey like yeah. i was in love with jim carrey when i was like 12 yeah. Um, and he's obviously older, but there were, were times when I was like, how am I ever going to be attracted to an actual older guy? Like, I don't Yeah, know. it's it's different when you've got that crush and you're younger crushing on an older person. It doesn't occur to you that they're, like, old. Yeah. But it occurs Especially to them. Especially when they're, like, a, an actor. Yeah, an actor or, like, a teacher some some figure that you look up to in some way. Like, you're not thinking of that that Mm -hmm. way, but, like, and that's fine and whatever. It's just, like, they can see how young you are, so watch out for people who uh, respond to your crush because they're definitely bad news. Run. I have to tell (laughs) you a story now. Okay. Okay. And this is 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 my fear. fear. Good. Because, like, I didn't think this was going to loop into this topic, but it does. Perfect. So, (laughs) this weekend, I went out for my friend's birthday, and we went to a karaoke bar. Yeah. And it was completely dead, which means I got to sing a lot. So, that was great. Yeah. But, um... My other friend, Jody wanted to go to this other bar after because, like, and everybody did kind of want to go. So yeah, we all went down to this place in Calgary called The Trop. That sounds um, promising. But Jody and I were the only ones determined enough to wait in line. There's a lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how long it's been since I waited in a lineup outside of a club. Mm-hmm. And oh, Andrea. I know. Um <laughs> old lady i know <laughs> uh but so we finally got in uh but it was just me and jody at this point and then yeah. there was this guy there yeah oh no and at first he told me he was 22 oh no and i was like oh 
no thank you. And then he admitted he was 33. But And he thought you'd be more attracted to him when he was 22. I think he like, was just like trying to bug me. But here's another funny part of the story. It's the Tropicana, but it's been turned into a club. This is the bar that dad used to bring us to oh. where we would eat chicken fingers and fries on our side of the bar. I and remember. on the other side of the bar, people could drink. I remember. I fell in love once at that bar when I was four. A lot of stuff happened at that bar because we spent a lot of time there. Yeah. yeah Four-year-old so me shouldn't have been there. But those yeah. are all my weird stories. Well, it was restaurant on our half. It was where the bar started that you, we couldn't go. Some weird things though yeah no that was not the best place for kids no. but they did have really good gravy i was super into that gravy yeah they had good chicken fingers yeah and the gravy and i liked to play pool even though i was like 11 i tried when <laughs> i was four and i was really just hitting balls with the stick mm-hmm. i like smacked them sideways and to be honest i think that's a better game yeah it is no that's definitely the true that's yeah. the the best way to play it because, like, I think it's a myth that people, like, actually like pool the way pool is supposed to be played. It With sucks. rules? With, like, shitty chalk and, like, having to, like, position your fingers and being like, oh, the most exciting thing that's going to happen now is that a ball moves into a hole. I guess that's like golf. It's like golf on a table. It I hate is. it. <laughs> Small scale golf. Yeah, that's right. Mini, mini golf. That's my fear is, Super like. mini, mini golf. This very mini golf. That's my fear is that I'm as the backlash I'm gonna get from like extreme pool fans. Sorry, that was my alarm. That sure was your alarm. <laughs> this is, that's also my fear is how many fucking times your phone alarm goes I know. off when we're recording. I'm not used to recording in the evening and that's like my notification to like, to like do all, get ready yeah, and do my ready. night stuff. <laughs> yeah, because you'd forget otherwise, be like, ah, it appears to be nighttime. What, I see am I supposed it does to do come at this again. Point again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah. I have like a checklist in my bathroom now. My therapist helped me write it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. So, so therapists now, are yeah. good for something. No, my therapist is good for a lot of things, but most of them, no. Um, as a general rule, I mean, you should go to therapy. Don't actually take me seriously here. But uh, you definitely as a general should. rule, no. Just find one that clicks. Yeah, find one that doesn't suck and that helps you write your bathroom routine on it. <laughs> that is. It's yeah, a, it's that's a good start. A requirement. It is for me. Apparently. For most people, I'm telling you. Uh, otherwise, it's just in my head. And I, uh, anyway, so for today's theme, um, <laughs> now on with the episode. Um, before we lose you to the bathroom routines, <laughs> <laughs> anytime. You chose the. Topic. I chose it, and I chose. Okay, so I want to do like haunted technology or weird shit that kind of lived in technology, but that it's hard to do. So we kind of translated it to stuff that's just kind of like technology that has harmed something in some way. So mm-hmm. we expanded that. And we've kind of done that before, but we did different stuff this time. And yes, uh, yeah, I'll be starting us off. And I actually did find sort of, um, okay, so it's a famous case. And a lot of people are going to know about this. James Dean's haunted car Yay! is the thing. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. I'm glad you're ready because I'm not. Just a second. <laughs> Gotta grab my papers. You were waiting for me to grab them again. I absolutely was waiting for you to grab them again is the thing. I'm not your assistant. Well, but you used to be and now I've come to expect it. And now you've just like (laughs) taken that away from me. And I'm just like, what do I do do, though? (laughs) All right. So just for you, here's James Dean's cursed car. 
and also a little bit about his death. So okay. um, for people who are still sad about that, which is probably a lot of people actually, uh, there, <laughs> there you go. So Trigger warning. James Dean's death. I mean, <laughs> it's a bummer for sure. Everyone's death is. So quick summary. Um, the death of Hollywood actor James Dean occurred on September 30th, 1955 near... Colomy? S- somewhere in California. That's pronounced Cholame is why I've decided. No, sorry, guys. <laughs> it's probably like Colam or Colamy. California is where it was. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dean had previously competed in several auto racing events and was traveling to a sports car racing competition when his car crashed at the junction of California State Route 46, which was at the time uh, 466, and California State Route 41. He was only 24 years old. Just a little bug. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge bummer. 24 is a shit year, too. And he was hot. Yeah, he he was. I've seen pictures, too. I haven't yeah. seen any movies with him in them, which is weird because he's a big deal. But, like, I just haven't. But I've seen pictures, and he was. He was, he was very yeah. hot. Yeah. yeah. So the car's acquisition, the cursed car, I mean, not. <laughs> he had a lot of cars, okay? <laughs> so on September 21st, Dean suddenly traded in his Speedster at Competition Motors for a new, more powerful, and faster 1955 Porsche 550 Spider. I don't like it. It's a, not a good name for a car. No. But this was the Spiders 50s, I'll suck. forgive them. <laughs> it's, it's like with a Y, Spider. I don't care, it's sounds the same but that's the cool way anyway it, and he entered the upcoming uh selena's road race event scheduled for october 1st to the 2nd right of that year according to lee raskin uh, who is a porsche historian <laughs> i learned too much about cars while researching this is, is what happened uh and author of james dean at speed Dean asked custom car painter and pinstriper Dean Jeffries to paint Little Bastard on the car. And here's a quote. Quote, Dean Jeffries, who had a paint shop next to George Barris, did the customizing work, which consisted of painting 130 in black non-permanent paint on the front hood, doors, and rear deck lid. He also painted Little Bastard in script across the rear cowling. The red leather bucket seats and red tail stripes were original. The tail stripes were painted by the Stuttgart factory, which was customary on the Spiders for racing ID. Okay, I guess. I mean, this is, cars are technology, so I'm I'm allowed. (laughs) So, the nickname. According to some sources, Dean had been given the nickname Little Bastard himself by Bill Hickman, a Warner Brothers (laughs) stunt driver whom Dean was friends with, basically. Hickman was part of Dean's group driving to the Salinas Road Races on September 30th, 1955, and Hickman says he called Dean Little Bastard, and Dean called Hickman Big Bastard. Aww. I know, it's kind of cute, actually. It is a bromance. Oh, OTP. So, I ship it. Another version of the Little Bastard origin, though, which is corroborated by two of Dean's other close friends, Phil Stern and Lou Bracker, is that Warner Brothers president Jack L. Warner had once referred to Dean as a little bastard after he refused to vacate his temporary East of Eden trailer on the studio's lot. And Dean wanted to get even with Warner by naming his race car Little Bastard to boldly show that despite the racing ban during all filming, he would be racing the Little Bastard in between projects. (laughs) So he was being a little bastard is the thing. He is. I know, I kind of like that though. Yeah. It's 
cheeky. Cheeky Dean. I like cheeky men. Cheeky, cheeky boy. So when Dean introduced himself to British... Okay, this actually is creepy. When Dean introduced himself to British actor Alec Guinness outside the Villa Capri restaurant in Hollywood, he asked him to take a look at the spider, right? Yeah. Guinness thought the car appeared sinister and told Dean, quote, if you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. This encounter took place on September 23rd, 1955, seven days before Dean's death. So the guy was an actor and a psychic. Apparently. It was exactly seven days. That was like (laughs) very, very, yeah, Alec Guinness. Mr. Guinness. Mr. Psychic Guinness is my father's name. Please (laughs) (laughs) just call me Guinness. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that joke. Sorry. Um, So, James Dean's death, and this is a bummer, obviously. At approximately 5.15 p.m., Dean, with his Porsche factory-trained mechanic Rolf Wutherick in the car with him, and Hickman were driving west on Route 466 toward Paso Robles, which was approximately 60 miles away from where they started. Dean accelerated in the little bastard and left the Ford station wagon that was being driven by Hickman far behind. So Hickman was driving behind them in a Ford, yeah. which was also Dean's, and Dean and Wutherick uh, were in the uh, the cursed car, the spider. Okay. Further along on Route 466, the Porsche crested Polonial Pass and, he- and headed down the Long Antelope Grade, passing cars along the way toward the junction of Route 466 and Route 41. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's the bad junction. At approximately 5.45 p.m., a black and white 1950 Ford Tudor, driving at high speed, headed east on Route 466, just west of the junction near Shandon, right? And the driver, 23-year-old U.S. Navy veteran and Cal Poly student, Donald Turnipseed. No. I'm so sorry, Donald. <laughs> so, I know. I know. I was reading this. I'm like, oh. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, he was driving it, and he made a left turn onto uh, Route 41 headed north toward Fresno. As turnip seeds... For- I'm just going to call him Don. Donald. <laughs> As Donald's uh, Ford crossed over the center line, Dean, obviously witnessing an imminent crash coming toward him, apparently tried to steer the spider in a sidestepping racing maneuver, but with insufficient time and space, the two cars collided almost head on. A witness, John Robert White, reportedly saw the spider smash into the ground two or three times in cartwheels and land in a gully beside the shoulder of the road northwest of the junction. The velocity of the impact sent the much heavier Ford broadsliding 39 feet down Route 466 in the opposite lane. The collision was actually witnessed by several passerby who stopped to help, which is good. (laughs) A woman with nursing experience attended to Dean and detected a weak pulse in his neck, but according to the woman, quote, death appeared to have been instantaneous. Kind of. I mean, his, his he's still at a pulse, so. But, but maybe he's brain dead. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he was obviously not. Um, and the moral of the story is Ford is good. Uh, spiders are bad. I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, spiders 
probably, I mean, all of these cars are probably bad today. These are from the 50s. Yeah. Uh, so, California Highway Patrol, uh, Captain Ernest Tripke and his partner, Corporal Ronald Nelson, were called to the scene. And before Tripke and Nelson arrived, though, Dean had been peeled from the spider's mangled cockpit. Ew. His, literally. Yes. Uh, extricated is the word that they often used. His left foot having been crushed between the clutch and brake pedal. He was obviously severely injured, suffering a broken neck and massive internal and external injuries. Nelson witnessed an unconscious and dying Dean being placed into an ambulance and a barely conscious Wutherick, who had been thrown from the spider, lying on the shoulder of the road next to the wrecked vehicle. So Dean and Witherick were taken in the same ambulance to the Paso Robles War Memorial Hospital, 28 miles away. But Dean was pronounced dead on arrival at 6.20 p.m. by the attending emergency room physician, Dr. Robert Bossert. The uh, cause of death listed on James Dean's death certificate is listed as a broken neck, multiple fractures of the upper and lower jaw, both right and left arms broken, and internal injuries. His guts were probably all over the place. I'm assuming, yes. So, Warren Beeth wrote that Dean had died in the arms of his friend, Bill Hickman, who oh. would have been catching up behind them, right, and seeing this. That would this. be horrible. Yeah. To be Bill. Yeah, to, like, be driving behind your friend, just catching up and, like, yeah, seeing an accident. Yeah, you see him go by you, and then, like, a few ahead. minutes later, you You see, like, catch a, a up wreckage. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you see a wreckage, and you're like, that's definitely my best friend, Spider. Yeah. And you go, oh, my God. So, Witherick survived with a broken jaw and serious hip and femur injuries that required immediate surgery. Uh, Donald was only slightly injured. Yes, I'm ignoring turnip <laughs> seed is what's happening here. He was, like, the driver of the, the Ford that crashed into them, was only slightly injured with facial bruises and a bloodied nose. And after being interviewed by the CHP, he hitchhiked in the dark back to his home in Tular. Or Tulare. Tulare. I mean, this doesn't sound like it was actually cursed. It just sounds like bad driving. Well, I haven't gotten to the curse yet. Here's the curse. Okay. So, the curse of James Dean's car, the little bastard, has become part of America's cultural mythology, basically. Warren Beeth, a James Dean archivist and author, which is definitely a profession, apparently, yes. <laughs> believes the source of the myth is uh, George Barris, the self-described king of the customizers, who says he was the first to purchase the wrecked car. Barris promoted the curse after he placed the wreck on public display in 1956. Not, yeah, not that, that classy. I mean, yeah. No, it's not classy, but it's... It, I'm not surprised. He was a star. Definitely will business. Yep. Yeah. Over the years, Barris described a mysterious series of accidents, not all of them car crashes, that occurred from 1956 to 1960 involving the little bastard, some which resulted in serious injuries to spectators and even a truck driver's death. Raskin states uh, many claims regarding the curse appear to have been based on Barris's 1974 book, Cars of the Stars, so this stuff's oh. hard to confirm, just like all paranormal theories, right? Yes, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's, they cannot be proven or denied. So, Raskin's 2005 book, James Dean at Speed, states that the wrecked spider was declared as a total loss by the insurance company, which uh, paid Dean's father, Winton, the fair market value as a settlement. The insurance company, in turn, through a salvage yard in Burbank, sold the spider to Dr. William F. Eshrick. Eshrick. 
Eshrik. Sure. I, I, I it's, it's, that's what it is. Eshrik, who had competed against Dean in his own sports car at three race events during 1955, dismantled the engine and mechanical parts and installed the Porsche 4-cam engine in his Lotus 9 race car chassis. Eshrik then, Eshrik, fuck, <laughs> fuck, then raced the Porsche-powered Lotus, which he called a POTUS. Um. At seven California sports car club events during 1956. Don't and at, do that. Oh, at, okay. at the Pomona sports car races on October 21st, 1956, Eshrik. I don't know why this is so hard. Eshrik, <laughs> driving this car, uh, was involved in a minor shunt with another driver. A little bit more about that later. Barris's uh, Car of the Stars states Cars of the Stars because they have multiple. <laughs> Just this one I'm car. I'm just dying. They all have to share. Yeah. <laughs> car of the stars. <laughs> just one car and it's cursed. States that a uh, Dr. McHenry, quote, driving a car powered by the engine from Dean's car was killed when his vehicle went out of control and struck a tree in the first race in which the motor had been used since Dean's mishap. Another doctor, William F. Eshrid of what Burbank. What is with these right, right. William F. There's so many. They're both William F. too. I think it's Eshrick. I think this is the same guy. Oh, I think okay. that this uh, was a typo in my end. Of Burbank was injured in the same race when his car, which contained the drivetrain from Dean's car, rolled over. Oh, okay. And it rolled over a lot, so he was pre-injured. Eshrick, who was interviewed a day after McHenry's fatal crash, said he had loaned the Dean transmission and several other parts to McHenry. Quote, hmm. I don't believe he was using the transmission when he crashed, but he was using the back-swinging arms which holds the rear end. McHenry appears to have the distinction of being the only, like, 100% confirmed victim of the, uh, curse. Or of the driving with the car parts, basically. Yeah. Not okay. necessarily a curse. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Americans, help me. Um... <laughs> Raskin states although Barris may have customized several cars for Rebel Without a Cause, the movie, uh, he never customized any of Dean's personal cars and neither of his Porsches. Lou Bracker, Dean's best friend in Los Angeles and fellow Porsche racer, uh, maintains that Barris was not involved with Dean's racing activities. He was never considered to be part of Dean's inner circle, invited to go to Selena's on September 30th, 1955, so he wasn't like that close to them. It is not known exactly how Barris knew Eshrick, but he was given the spider's mangled body after Eshrick had stripped out the Porsche. Yep. In Why? 1956, Barris uh, announced that he was going to rebuild the little bastard, but that proved to be too much of a feat as the wrecked chassis had no remaining integral strength. So instead, Barris decided to weld aluminum sheet metal over the caved-in left front fender and cockpit area. He proceeded to beat on the aluminum panels with a 2x4, <laughs> To try to simulate what would appear to be collision damage, which oh is just, God. right? It's just a really gruesome thing to do, in my opinion, like, re-simulating a person's death like that. Ugh, it's weirdo. gross. Well, because you want to show it and, like, yeah, pretend yeah, like it was the actual, uh, how I it was like found it. at the scene. I know, it's disgusting. Later in 1956, Barris loaned out the little bastard to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council. <laughs> For a local rod and custom car show, and the grotesque <laughs> display was promoted as, quote, James Dean's last sports car. Okay. During 1957 to 59, the exhibit was toured in various rod and custom car shows, movie theaters, bowling alleys, and highway safety displays, which, wow. Oh my god. Yeah, throughout California. Okay, fine. <laughs> 
And there are a few stories associated with the curse that actually can be corroborated a little bit, though. So, for example, a wire service story on March 12, 1959, reported that the little bastard, temporarily stored in a garage at 3158 Hamilton Avenue in Fresno, caught fire. Ooh. Quote, a waiting display is a safety exhibit in the coming sports and custom automobile show. It was like, no more. It's like, I'm done with all these safety shows. I was the least safe car you could have been. <laughs> is I And I have my integrity, so <laughs> I'm not going to lie to these people. However, on May 12, 1959, the uh, Fresno Bee reported that the fire had occurred on the night of March 11th and that only slight damage had occurred to the spider without any damage to other cars or property in the garage. No one was injured. Quote, The cause of the fire is unknown. It burned two tires and scorched the paint on the vehicle. And yet it didn't touch any of the other cars or anything else in the garage. Oh. Or hurt anyone. It's just this car just went poof. <laughs> and, and then it was like, okay, I'm done now. And th that was that for that All fire. Right. Later <laughs> that year, the little bastard toured national auto shows and traffic safety exhibitions. Legend also holds that the uh, little bastard mysteriously disappeared in 1960. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. According to Barris, the spider was returning from a traffic safety exhibit in Florida. What? So many safety exhibits. I know. In a sealed truck. However, in Barris's book, which came later, and in many TV interviews, he said the little bastard was being shipped back in a sealed boxcar, so it's hard to say. But it was in a sealed vehicle. And when the train arrived in Los Angeles, Barris said he signed the manifest and verified that the seal was intact, but the boxcar was mysteriously empty. Because it's a ghost car. Yeah, the car just left, I guess. Just yeah. hitched a ride and it was like, okay, Setting bye. myself on fire didn't work, so yeah. I'm going to teleport out of this train. Yeah, right. And go give, live my little bastard life. I like to think you didn't even teleport that, like, the car just, like, literally picked the lock and walked away. <laughs> well, the seal was intact, though. But you know that cartoon car from, like, Roger Rabbit who could go, like, trot, 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 trot. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. And maybe he just put the seal back. I don't know. Oh, okay. He, I mean, he's, he's, that's logical, so. This is definitely what happened. <laughs> so Raskin, however, believes that Barris opted to misplace the little bastard and that the eerie disappearance stories were Barris's way of perpetuating the Dean myth, especially on the milestone anniversaries of Dean's death, which would make sense. Okay. So just to close off there, though, Dean's funeral was held on October 8th, 1955 at the Fairmount Friends Church in Fairmount, Indiana. The coffin remained closed to conceal the the brutal injuries to his upper torso and face. Uh. An estimated 600 mourners were in attendance, while another 2,400 fans gathered outside the church during the procession. Dean's body is buried at Park Cemetery in Fairmount, less than a mile from where he grew up on his aunt and uncle's farm. Poor James. I just thought it was creepy that, like, his friend was like, if you get in that car this time next week, you'll be dead. And that exact time next week, he was. See, that's weird. That was weird. Like, it's just a weird prediction. Like, if you randomly show a friend who's just an actor and not, like, a, a psychic, like, your car, and that's what they say, and they're right. Like, that's weird. I don't like it. Yeah. Did and he cut his brake line? He's like, because a week from now, I'm going to cut your brake line. <laughs> because a week from now, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, like, I mean, the Ford crashed car. into him. Because a week from now, you I'm going to hire. drive it fast. That's true. You drive it fast and it's not a lot of protection around you because it's a light little sports car. Yeah, you know, and it, like, it was a Ford that crashed into a light, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And Fords are built Ford tough. 
this should not have been an ad opportunity ever. But like, <laughs> I mean, this did happen in the fifties at least. But like, that's true. Yeah, no, it's it's a depressing one. But um, you know, it is. But there's every, more yeah. about the cursed car. It's just like uh, I recommend looking it up because like a lot of it's hearsay and yeah. You know. Okay. Well, I had to get creative as well. I know. Thanks for that. There aren't enough haunted things. I was looking for haunted cell phones. No one's cell phone has been haunted. I was really mad. That's crazy. What is up with that? No one that I can verify. Kill someone with a cell phone, maybe they'll haunt it. I mean, Reddit has a lot to say about how their phones are haunted, but I can't take from that. No, because those are like I can't verify just that. everyday people, and you can't verify the story. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So you got creative. I got creative. So this is the story of Michelle Carter and the death of Conrad Roy. Ooh. Um, and you'll see why it's related to technology when I get there. I'll get there when we get there. <laughs> You're like, there might have been a TV on in the background. It, <clears throat> That's exactly it. It's related. <laughs> I promise. No, it heavily involves texting and emails. Okay, so you're more modern there. Yeah, so this is about Conrad and Michelle, just sort of background. Uh, Conrad was born in 1995 in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts, huh. and he was socially anxious, especially in school. Mm-hmm. Um, for several years, he worked with his father and grandfather and uncle in a marine salvage business in New England. Mm-hmm. In the spring of 2014, he earned his captain's license at the age of 18 from the Northeast Maritime Institute, and he did it by doing night classes. That makes sense. That's kind of cool. It's pretty young. and Yeah. Yeah. So he was a skilled person. Yeah, yeah. like he was very smart, very good at school, despite, but very anxious. Yeah, despite the anxiety. Yeah, yeah and depressed. Yeah. Um, in June 2014, he graduated from the with honors from the old Rochester Regional High School in Mattapoisett, and he was also an athlete. He played baseball, he rode, and he was on the track team. Uh, yeah, so he had like a 3.88 GPA when he graduated. Cool. And he got into Fitchburg State University to study business, but at some point he decided just not to go, which is fine. Fair. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle was born August 11th, 1996 in Massachusetts to Gail and David Carter. And she went to King Philip Regional High School in Rentham. Apparently, she developed an eating disorder at age eight or nine. Whoa. And she may have cut herself. Um, she was on prescription psych meds from the age of 14. Wow. And she went to counseling at the McLean Hospital in Belmont. So this poor girl. Yeah. Eight like, or nine? Yeah, like she that's was troubled from early on. Yeah, that's like intense though to have an eating disorder that young and I know self-harming yeah. that young. That's so sad. Oh my God. So Michelle and Conrad met when Conrad was 16. I think Michelle was 15. They met mm-hmm. in Florida. They were both there visiting relatives in 2012. Yeah. And it was just a coincidence that they also ended up living like 56 kilometers away from each other in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and over the next two years, they actually only saw each other a few times even though they lived so close. That sounds about right um, for 2012. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to it was be all honest. yeah, it was all yeah, texts and emails. Yeah, um, and they both lived in Boston suburbs. Mm-hmm. So they yeah, it, like I said, it was all texts and emails. Allegedly, Conrad was repeatedly hit by his father and verbally abused by his grandfather. Oh, no. And he actually tried to kill himself in October 2012 after his parents got divorced because he was so depressed. Oh my gosh. Uh, Michelle learned of this and. She would actually constantly stop him from committing suicide in between 2012 and 2014. And she would encourage him to get help, professional help, go to therapy, 
That's really kind. That's but kind of her. I know, exactly. Because um, they were both troubled. Like, she had her own shit, too. Um, but her attitude changed in June 2014 oh. because, uh, like, at that point, it just appears that she started thinking that she might actually help him kill himself. Whoa, okay. Because she thought maybe that was, like, the right thing to do because he was just so miserable and wanted to die, right? Right. Um, it's and not the right thing to do with people at home. It's not, no. <laughs> In June, uh, Conrad texted Michelle suggesting that they act like Romeo and Juliet and checked to make sure that she knew that Romeo and Juliet had both killed themselves. (laughs) Most people do know this. Yeah. (laughs) So Conrad, like I said, had social anxiety and depression. And he had seen professionals, including a CBT therapist, before he died. Yeah. He had been hospitalized for an acetaminophen overdose at the age of 17. It's like, uh... I think it's Tylenol. That would be a brutal way to go. And he had been talking to a girl that he met in a group, Mm -hmm. and she called the police. So that's how... How he was saved. How he was saved. And he had been taking Celexa for a while, and Celexa actually has a warning about suicidal thinking and behavior in people that are under 24 years old. You wrote peeps. I did. (laughs) I see peeps. I was typing quickly. <laughs> peeps under 24 don't take Celexa. <laughs> Honestly, I think I've been on Celexa. I don't know. There are a lot of like antidepressants and such that I've been on. And I've been on They Selexa. all have that warning, I'm right? I'm pretty sure I was on Celexa. Yeah, and they've got that warning where they're like, if you're a teen, don't take this because you'll be suicidal. But they also have the general warning for everyone where they're like, you probably shouldn't even take this if you're depressed. Yeah, I know. We're just going to market it to you, but you shouldn't actually. <laughs> Medications <laughs> like, for depression are awful. They... Yeah, they're they not can good. cause suicidal thoughts. To me, that just seems like worse depression. I don't know. Yeah, like I'm not sure how they're helping much. I, I they're very short term solutions, stopgap measures. Yeah. So obviously, it didn't help him. So here is the death part oh. of my presentation. Your presentation. So yikes. On Sunday, July 13th, 2014, Conrad had been texting with Michelle while he was with his family. This is sort of an overview, and then I, like, I will actually, I have some of the texts and stuff to read out. Yeah. So, um, he later died by suicide by poisoning himself with carbon monoxide in his truck in a Kmart parking lot in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Oh, no. His funeral was held uh, Saturday, July 19th, and the Captain Conrad H. Roy III Scholarship Fund was established in his memory. Yikes. Wow. So that day, Michelle had texted him saying that if he really wanted to die, that he should follow through. So this is what she texted. She said, quote, you're fine. It's going to be okay. You just got to do it, babe. You can't think about it. Ugh, Michelle, no. Yeah. Conrad used a gas-powered water pump to create a lethal level of carbon monoxide in his truck. And when he had doubts about going forward and texted Michelle about it, and he stepped out of the truck, Michelle said, quote, get back in. What the fuck, Michelle? No, and if he was having doubts, that's a good sign. I know. It means that there's a part of him that wants to stick around. I can't imagine this. This is horrible. <laughs> I know. It's just, I don't know. I spend a lot of time trying to talk people out of suicide. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you more of my thoughts at the end. Yeah. But she didn't call anyone for help. Yeah. So even though she knew he was doing this. Yeah, she didn't do anything. Uh, yeah. Besides actively encourage it. She did end up getting tried for this. Yeah. Um, she decided to waive her right to a jury trial and just have a bench trial. And she was convicted in 2017 by a court judge who said that her virtual presence made her culpable. Hmm. So then I watched a documentary. Oh, okay. <laughs> to get more details for you lovely people. I bet that was a cheery documentary. So cheery. 
So he had actually made, Conrad had made videos confiding his deep emotional distress using video diaries. Yeah. He said, quote, I've created a monster out of myself, racing thoughts, suicidal thoughts. I feel like I'm differently wired from everyone else. Mm. When he met Michelle, she was a year younger than him and she was also athletic and a softball player. And she, by all accounts, was a really nice girl. She helped people whenever she could. Her classmates voted her the most likely to brighten your day. So she was cheerful and nice. Um, But she was also struggling. She had depression, her eating disorder. She was having trouble making and keeping friends. Yeah. So Conrad filled this void. um, And they began this like intense Facebook messaging, texting, on and on again, off again romance, uh, which would go on all hours of the night and day. Like it just constant. It was intense. Yeah, they're very close. Yeah. Yeah. They don't actually have any photo together or anything because they met in person only two or three times. Their relationship was completely electronic. Yeah. And there is my technology. Thank you. For the story. I mean, a lot of relationships are like that now. They are, yeah. I wish it hadn't turned out badly for them. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Their relationship was super intense. Conrad sent her a selfie at one point, pointing to his head like a gun with script over it, saying, if you only knew what's inside my head. Oh, jeez. And uh, he tells Michelle about his brush with death. He says, and I'm just going to say the name and then what they texted (laughs) So Conrad says, I tried to kill myself. Michelle says, how did you try to kill yourself? Do you still want to? Conrad says, no, I'm going to. Just letting you know. The voices in my head tell me to. And he would say, Conrad, Conrad would text, I want to die. Michelle would say, I know you want to and you research it and everything, but are you actually really going to do it? Conrad said, yeah, if I can find a way to 100% work. So in the summer of 2014, He starts searching cyanide, death by cop, and easy ways to find poisons on the internet. They found his search Uh. history. And he sends Michelle pics of a rifle and a noose. Whoa. And hints that they should do something together, which is the Romeo and Juliet. So this is how the Romeo and Juliet conversation went. Yeah. Conrad said, we should be like Romeo and Juliet at the end. Michelle says, haha, I'd love to be your Juliet, smiley face. Conrad says, but do you know what happens at the end? And Michelle's like, Oh, yeah, and fuck no, we are not dying. That was a good start. Yeah. She just stuck with that, Michelle. She did for two years, for weeks and weeks. He says it over and over. And uh, so this is prior to his death. But, I mean, obviously this has been years. Yeah. He says it over and over. And Michelle's totally in a caretaker role. And she's also fragile. And she's also 17. Yeah. Uh, Michelle texts, Conrad, stop. You're not going to do it. I know you won't. I don't want you to. Mm. Conrad says, no, I actually am. Michelle says, you have so much to live for. Please don't. But he has this obsession with suicide. Like, their their conversations always go towards suicide. Yeah. Conrad says, I'm never going to be better. I have to accept that. Michelle says, you're in a dark tunnel, but it's not going to last forever. You'll find the light someday. And she ends up getting hospitalized for her eating disorder. Yeah. And she asks him to join her. She says, you aren't going to get better on your own. You need professional help like me. People who know how to treat it and fix it. Yeah. So she's still encouraging him to get, get help. professional help. Yeah, because yeah. she can't fix it for him and he can't be alone with this. Exactly. Yeah. And Conrad texts her at one point saying, and the only way I'd hate you is if you told people about this. You hear me? Oh, no. And Michelle's like, I'm not going to tell anyone because if I did, then you'd have to go to a hospital and I know that's not what you want. Ugh. And his family actually thought he was getting better. He was starting to seem better. Just his attitude, his mood, you know? Probably the connection helped and having someone to vent to. The problem is that he's like circling the drain so hard right now yeah and apparently he actually seemed to get way better like right before 
he committed yeah. suicide. Yeah. But I've heard that that can sometimes happen once a person has decided to commit suicide because then at least they've – It's a weight lifted. They've got a plan. Yeah. yeah. On July 12th, he went to the beach with his mom and sisters and he seemed way more optimistic. Instead of swimming or sunbathing, though, he spent most of his time in the car texting Michelle. And he then told his mother and sisters that he was going to go see a friend – and his mom was like, well, are you going to be home for dinner? And he said no. Ooh. And that was the last thing that he says to his mom. So, Oh, that's depressing. After a while, because he left Saturday evening and he was still not home Sunday morning, people started searching for him. And his mother contacted the police and one of the officers started searching. He does spot uh, Conrad's truck in the Kmart par- parking lot and he finds Conrad dead behind the wheel. In the back seat, there's a portable water pump powered by a gas engine, and running the engine with the windows closed managed to create a lethal amount of carbon monoxide, which he said was enough to kill anyone in 20 minutes flat. Whoa. And it's an obvious suicide. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, you don't accidentally make a pump like that. I'm, I'm, no. Wow. He did actually leave notes for Michelle and his family. He thanked Michelle for being there and supporting him and sticking with him as he struggled. Hmm. But his – so Michelle started trying to comfort his family and they didn't really know her. But she established a connection and telling them that Conrad would have wanted us to stay strong and not break down over him. And then there, uh, she starts texting, calling, and emailing. And one says, I am so sorry I didn't do enough to save him. I have never tried harder in my life to help fix someone. I don't know. She attends the wake and funeral and she actually asks them for part of his ashes and to what? go through his room and take some of his belongings. And obviously his family thought this was weird. Yeah, that is it's especially weird. since she's almost a stranger to them. Yeah, exactly. Like she and him, he like they may have been close, but she's not a friend of the family. No, and this was over internet. They had, uh, probably haven't even met her really. Like yeah, apparently they didn't really know that they were actually close friends. Yeah, that would be a weird request. She actually begins organizing a charity baseball tournament. And uh, makes a post saying that she wants to be an anti-suicide activist. Okay. She says in the post, quote, even though I could not save my boyfriend's life, I want to put myself out there to try to save as many other lives as possible. Mm-hmm. And she continues texting him after his death. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, like I've heard people it makes sense sometimes do that. Yeah. 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 She says, quote, today has been one month since you passed. It was a hard day for all of us. I hope you were looking down with a smile. <sighs> Finally, uh, the detective checks Conrad's cell phone because uh, he got the code from his family. And there are some texts. <laughs> so uh, Michelle, one of her texts says, I don't get why you don't just overdose again, but go somewhere in private. You already know it works. So she's starting to agree with him. Yeah. She says, you're really going to do this? And Conrad says, yeah. And Michelle says, okay, there's no turning back now. So July 2nd, it starts with, are you serious? Just do it, basically. Oh, no. Um, early in July, he actually had overdosed on sleeping pills and he failed. Yeah. So Michelle texted him saying, I knew you weren't going to try hard. I feel like such an idiot. And Conrad says, why? And Michelle says, because you didn't even do anything. And I poured my heart out to you thinking this was going to be the last time I talked to you. I thought you really wanted to die, but apparently you don't. I feel played and just stupid. And then in another, I know it's really creepy, right? Ugh. In another text string, Michelle is like, tonight. And Conrad's like, eventually. And Michelle's like, see, that's what I mean. You keep pushing it off. Michelle asks him more than 40 times in the last week of his life when he's going to kill himself. Oh, no. And every time that he had doubts, she diminished them. And (sighs) he would say, you know, he feels guilty about leaving his family. Yeah. But she assured him that she would comfort his family. He could have been talked down from this. Yeah, he could have. Well, especially 
at the end. Yeah, um, it sounds like he was when he got out of the truck. Having the, yeah, yeah, like he was having. Yeah, that was the time to pounce. Uh, he texted, I'm in the worst pain right now. It's like unbearable. And then Michelle says, I think it's time to do it now then. So Michelle later hears that detectives are looking for his phone. So she sends a worried text to her friend saying, Sam, they read my messages with him. Or Sam, they read my messages with him. I'm done. His family will hate me and I could go to jail. Sam, his death is my fault. Like honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working and he got scared and I fucking told him to get back in. They found that she had researched modes of death, but that was because he had actually asked her to. And they're questioning maybe she wanted him to die to get attention, right? Like, oh, my boyfriend killed himself and it'll help her get friends because she has trouble making and keeping friends i feel like this was something really sporadic on her end like this weird compulsion i feel yeah i'll tell you more about what i feel yeah um she's actually found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and she's sentenced to 15 months in jail uh when she was 20 in 2017 and amanda knox i don't know if anybody knows about amanda knox but she's known for being implicated in the murder of her roommate when she was on like studying abroad in Italy yeah and there's more about her you should look her up if you don't know who she is but she's defending Michelle saying that she's the victim of unjust like she's the victim of unjust wrong unjustness unjustness (laughs) Uh, she was wrongfully convicted and holding her responsible ignores mental health factors about what leads to suicide and she's like she's not innocent she did it yeah but the fact that she was convicted in this way is wrong, right? Like, it's how long was she sentenced for exactly? She got fifteen months. Oh, that's that's fine. I know. Um, I think that's reasonable for talking someone into suicide multiple times after they've almost talked themselves out. So my thoughts are: she supported him for two years. Yeah, and it was a really intense relationship. So he's constantly texting her, and she obviously had romantic interest in him. Yeah. And I think at 17, maybe she just, like... Yeah, she was young. It was too much to handle. Like, he won't go get help. He keeps telling her... he She keeps having to talk him down from suicide. He won't get help. And basically, the weight of this is completely on her shoulders. So maybe at one point, mm-hmm. she just thought, okay, well, maybe... You know, he's just so miserable. Maybe it it would be better. Maybe it would be a kindness if he did kill himself. Yeah, a lot of people don't, especially when they're younger, a lot of people don't recognize when someone is saying these intense things about suicide. They do genuinely mean it. They're not lying to you, but they're not actually there exactly like yeah, they're, they're not, not at the point because to... if they were at the point then they wouldn't say anything because they wouldn't want to be stopped right yeah you're not going to tell someone about these feelings like until you're doing yeah and like, that's why i'm not... saying she's still culpable oh because yeah because encouraging him for those last couple weeks that's that's a lot of a effort. Lot, yeah like I... I could see her snapping at one point being like mm-hmm. fine then just do it but like not actively encouraging him so often after that i know I just think it was a lot for a 17-year-old to it is. have to handle. And not saying that she's not wrong, obviously. She's wrong, obviously. I think she's wrong. Yeah. That's pretty obvious. But, you know, at some point you have to get help from someone other than your 17-year-old girlfriend. Because yeah. it's just, it's a lot of weight to put on someone else. It's a lot of weight to bear yourself. Like, I know I've run into that with a lot of people who are like, who won't go see a therapist because I talk to them. And I'm just like, no. 
Yeah. I, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Please go see her. Like, like I, I will support you, but that's all that your friends can do for you. Exactly. Support them. Yeah. But they ha- you have to get your own help too. Yeah. Because as much as your friends want to be there for you, if they're not um, being paid to be your counselor and not trained to be your counselor. They're not going to. They may not be able to handle it. Like it's a lot to yeah. put on someone else's shoulders. It is. Uh, I'm not saying he's wrong too, but I think. Like, obviously. Yeah, like, he's it's the totally victim fine. here. But if that's the case, like, people should be going to get professional help. Yeah. Don't put it all on your friend's shoulders. It's cruel. I do feel for him, though, because he probably, I mean, he, it sounds like he did try it with a therapist. And a lot of people get discouraged after they go to see a therapist and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do have to hop around a lot, you know? You have you to do. try different forms of therapy. You, you have, have to try different therapists. It has to click. Yeah. It does, yeah. Like, they need to write your bathroom schedule is the thing. I've tried – yeah, that's the thing that's, that everybody is looking for is a bathroom schedule. Yeah. And just no. not every therapist will do it. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's just like – yeah, like, a lot of people go to one session and it kind of sucks because maybe yeah. their therapist sucked. You have to click with them for it to yeah. work because I've been to a couple and I stopped seeing them because it, it wasn't – I know, and I, I keep trying to get you to go back to someone else because, mm. like, that's what you got to do. But I know yeah. a lot of people feel burned by that one experience. I get it. Oh, but no. It's also I like... would go back. I just need more time. Yeah. And I need it to now be in Cochrane. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Calgary before. Hey, I'm not therapist. driving that far for a therapist. Uh, No, don't do that. But, yeah, no. Hey, therapists in Cochrane who are listening, which is probably yeah. zero of you. Um, yeah, exactly none. Hit up Andrea. <laughs> hit me up. DM us because that's the professional way. Oh, and so we have a thing. We had a request. Um, yes. To say to something. Wish a happy birthday to one of our Patreons. Yes, and this is from Adrian. Patrons. Why do I keep saying Patreons? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm so it's... sorry. Anyway, Adrian. Hey. Adrian to Brandon. So a- Adrian wanted us to tell Brandon. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Brandon. From Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and from us at Two Scared Siblings. At gmail.com. And also... <laughs> just turn that into... Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to segue into that one. <laughs> depressing, heavy topics. But uh, yeah, so our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash siblings, And you can find us on Twitter at twoscaredsibs. And, and my personal one, Andrea Noel 3 And mine is at toycarousels. And, uh, yeah, send us, us your requests and, yeah, yeah email, email us. Email us your requests, but also email us your stories. Yeah, tell me about your haunted phone. Yeah. Please. That's what I wanted from this. Yes. I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> tell me about your weird haunted TVs and phones. Tell us and about whatever. your haunted phone stuff. Yeah, I want more ghosts in my life is the thing, so help me out. I get that feeling. I know, right? All right. Don't we all? <laughs> ghosts are like, I could use less ghost in my life. Uh, oh, yeah, know. and message us your address, or, well, P.O. Box, whatever you got. We're sending merch out. Goodies to patrons, so you also have to go to patreon.com slash siblings. Yeah, and BR $1, $5 tier, you get bonus episodes of your $5 tier, but you get a lot of cool stuff either way. And We're you'll get a merch. merch if you're, yeah, if you're one of the tiers, so. Yeah. I mean, don't just send us your address if you're not a patron though so yeah don't, don't do that please <laughs> um that's too much responsibility for me so uh and this is the part where we give you a kiss Mwah. Mm-hmm. sleep well <laughs>